And we're going to be in Mark chapter 11. If you would, stand with me on this Palm Sunday as we read the Word of God together. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11, and it will be up on the screen, but hopefully you have your own Bible in hand so you can follow along as we read this very important text on this very important day. Mark chapter 11, when you're there, say, I got it. it. And if you're not there yet, say, hold on. All right, a couple of you. Um, Mark chapter 11 and verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway, and they untied it. Some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying the colt? They simply answered as Jesus had told them, and the people let them go. It would be great if that worked in real life, just go hijack a car, hijack a car, hotwire a car, and the Lord has need of it. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, as we sang this morning, Hosanna, which means save, or the one that saves, or save now. They cried out, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, but it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again, and his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, it is, is it not written, my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree that Jesus had cursed previously was withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. There is a verse to underline. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word. Thank you for this time of year as we 
are remembering really the, the centerpiece of Christianity, the life of Jesus, but that last week of your life, as we enter it, as you did, into the city of Jerusalem, I pray that our hearts would be stirred, that our minds would be stimulated, and that we would be able to think back on these moments recorded for us in the Gospels by the Gospel writer. And I pray to, today that we would see from the Scriptures maybe something fresh about this Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry story that we have read. So we pray now that your word would, would be blessed as it is and it would just really resonate in our hearts and that we would grow and be edified as we gather here for your word this morning. In Jesus' name we said together, amen. amen. You can have a seat. So as I mentioned in the prayer, today marks the beginning of one of the most important times of year for those of you and us and we who follow the Lord Jesus. And that is this time of Holy Week as we approach Easter and uh, this whole Lent season of just thinking upon these days that led up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And today, as you know, is Palm Sunday, uh, known by most of us who grew up in church or the triumphant entry uh, and if you didn't grow up in church, this is just essentially that time that we remember the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Now, I was thinking about this story and how familiar it is, at least for me, having grown up in church all of my life. Um, I've heard this story once a year, every year, for f almost 40 years. I'll be 40 next month. So, thank you. Um, I don't feel the same way about that, but, um, but thank you for that. Um, and and I, I was thinking about this. I think I've preached on this particular text, this story of, of Palm Sunday, at least 10 times. And so as I was approaching Palm Sunday this year, I thought, you know, is there anything that would surprise me from this text? Or um, is there something fresh that, that God would have for me? Because I, again, have heard it at over 40 times in my life every year and preached on it several. And uh, to be quite honest, uh, I really have found something new from this text that I want to share with you as we look at it from Mark's perspective in Mark chapter 11. And specifically, I want us to look at these four prophetic symbols of this story as it's recorded in Mark's gospel. So four prophetic symbols. How many can say four? Count to four. You can count to four then you're in good company. Um, so we're going to look at these four prophetic symbols, the donkey, the fig tree, the temple, and the mountain, and how Jesus changes everything. So we're going to talk about four things, real simple. We're going to look at the donkey, the fig tree, the temple, the mountain, and how Jesus changes everything. So you ready for that? Okay, so we enter into the beginning of Passion Week, and uh, as we do, we see that on Sunday, Jesus unties or has his disciples untie a young colt, never been ridden, a young foal, and he rides it into the city of Jerusalem. And as he's riding into the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, um, the people notice and they begin to, to throw down their coats and wave palm branches and begin to cry out, Hosanna, save. That's Sunday. And then Monday morning, it seems like even Jesus had a case of the Mondays, at least when you read what he did on Monday. Because Monday morning, he's walking by a fig tree, and mind you, it wasn't time for figs to produce their fruit. 
He sees the fig tree has not fruit for him to eat from because it says he was hungry. And he curses the fig tree that's not producing fruit, although it's not even in season. Then, from there, it seems like he's in a little bit of a bad mood. He walks into the temple and starts turning over tables and driving out money changers and saying, you've made my father's house, which was supposed to be a house of prayer, a house of robbers. That's Monday. You ever feel like Mondays are like that? That was Jesus' Monday of his final week. Cursing fig trees and overturning tables in temples. And then Tuesday, Jesus then comes back by the fig tree that he had cursed only to find that it had withered down to the root. And Peter's like, Jesus, that curse you put on that tree, it worked. Look at that, Look at that tree. It's, it's, it's withered to the roots. And then Jesus uses that to start talking about faith that can move mountains and about prayer and receiving from God. Now, each of these stories is probably familiar to you, but what has happened is oftentimes we've talked about them isolated in isolated ways. We've talked about Jesus' entry on the donkey. We've talked about the fig tree. We've talked about the mountain. We've talked about the temple. But, but realize that these are all one collaborative flow of events that, that speak to us something powerful on this Palm Sunday from these four things, the donkey riding, fig tree cursing, temple overturning, mountain hurling text that we find ourselves in. So what is it that Jesus is trying to say through these prophetic symbols? Well, actually quite a lot. Uh, first of all, the donkey ride. You may know this, but this donkey ride is actually a fulfillment of a prophecy that was given 500 years before Jesus rode into the city there in Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 said, says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. Note, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And every Jew that knew the Messiah prophecy would know who the Messiah was when this Zechariah 9.9 prophecy came to be. And so watching Jesus ride in this way on this significant day, every good Jew would know what he was doing. It'd be like if your company, let's say, was trying to hire a new CEO. And everybody knew they were looking for a new CEO. And you come up one day to work in the CEO's car, the company car, and you park in the CEO's parking spot, and then you unload all your stuff, and you set up shop in that corner office where the CEO sits. Everybody would know, even though you're delusional, what you're trying to pull. You think that you're the CEO of this company. You're going to be the CEO of this company. And Jesus, if you would, pulls up on the Messiah donkey and parks in the Messiah parking spot. Because when he rode into the city, he came through the east gate which is prophetic because Ezekiel 44 tells us that the Messiah would come through the east gate and when he returns again the next time he comes, which hasn't happened yet, he will come through the east gate. But from the time Messiah rides in to the time that the east gate will be sealed, the east gate will not be open again until the Messiah comes and returns through the east gate. So all the Jews today believe that their Messiah is going to come through the East Gate. And in Israel today, that East Gate is sealed. How many of you have ever been to Israel? 
you ever get to go, just go over to the east gate. And, and just think in your mind, like the, this, this gate is sealed until the day, Ezekiel 44, that Jesus shows up. So he rides in from the Mount of Olives and goes right through the east gate on that donkey, Ze- Zechariah 9.9, through that east gate, Ezekiel 44, and essentially is saying symbolically, I'm here. They knew it and they get all excited. The people knew that this prophetically meant a Messiah has come. So they begin laying down their garments and waving palm branches and crying out, Hosanna. And they start quoting from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, which is a messianic psalm. Which is interesting. You know, they quote right here, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, right out of Psalm 118. This messianic song, though, the, the biblical irony here is this same psalm in verse 22. Listen to what Psalm 118, verse 22. So on this day, Messiah comes in. They're quoting Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save. Same piece of scripture, just a few verses up in verse 22. Listen to what, that, what the psalmist wrote. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So right now they're welcoming him, but in less than a week, they're going to reject the cornerstone. A little biblical irony as they are singing out, shouting out, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118, just a few verses ahead of that is this prophetic idea that the cornerstone is going to be rejected as he will be on Good Friday. So we have this prophetic moment symbol of Jesus riding the donkey in he's saying something through that but what of the fig tree well Jesus walks by a fig tree on a Monday morning and he's hungry and the fig tree has no fruit it wasn't fair to expect it because figs typically their season is early summer it's probably spring right now and Jesus doesn't receive the fruit because it shouldn't bear fruit, and he curses the fig trees. Jesus just angry, grumpy, hangry, or is there something else he's doing here? I'm going to suggest to you there's something else he's doing here. This isn't about Jesus being hangry on a Monday morning. This is about Jesus doing what Jesus does as in flow with one of the prophets of old. Though Jesus is more than a prophet, to Israel... He served in place as a prophet. And often the prophets, if you've studied the prophets, you know that often the prophets would do something symbolic to represent a message to Israel. For instance, in Jeremiah chapter 19, Jeremiah stands outside Jerusalem breaking pottery, smashing pots as a vivid illustration of what God is going to do to Jerusalem. So there's a prophet outside the city going crazy, breaking pottery, only to say this is exactly what's going to happen to the city of Jerusalem. Ezekiel chapter 4, God tells Ezekiel to make a large clay brick and to write on that clay brick, Jerusalem. And then he's supposed to build like a mini city before the days of G.I. Joe's. You know, the prophets had to make their own toys. So he's building this little city symbolic of, of ancient Jerusalem and he builds siege ramps and, and walls and, and the whole thing and, and he builds this whole thing and then God tells him to lay with his back to it for 390 days as a vivid illustration of what God was going to do in judgment against Jerusalem and Israel. 
So Jesus then does something with this fig tree in the, the, the way of the prophet. He curses the fig tree, which the fig tree, if you don't know this in the Bible, is a national symbol of the nation of Israel. So anytime you read fig tree, especially from Jesus and even the prophets, think Israel. The fig tree represents the nation Israel. But what happens right after that, he curses the fig tree, then he goes into the temple. And what he finds there is shady business happening. They're selling animals for exorbitant rates. They're uh, exchanging money. Uh, and Jesus doesn't like what he sees. So he comes and he starts overturning the tables, driving out the money changers, and he accuses them of making God's house a den of robbers. And these two signs, the cursing of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple, they are one. Saying the same thing in two ways, highly symbolic, in other words, Jesus pronounces here the coming of the end of the temple worship. He's quoting when he, when he says that they have made God's house a den of robbers from Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11, which in context, it's God rebuking Israel for the way they had treated the temple of the Lord. So Jesus comes with this cursing fig trees, overturning tables, and he quotes from Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 7, which says, They've treated the temple of the Lord by stealing, murdering, committing adultery, lying under oath, worshiping Baal. And he says, and then you come into the house of the Lord saying, we are safe. In other words, the way you're living your life, committing adultery, lying, worshiping Baal, murdering, stealing, and then you come to church and say, we are safe. But this is what the Lord says. You think you're safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers? To you. Now listen to this. But I have, I have been watching, declares the Lord. I mean, that's, that's, like, that, that's an in-your-face moment. Jesus comes into their temple, quotes from Jeremiah chapter 7. They know this text. They know what he's saying and the implications all around Jeremiah chapter 7. You have made this house detestable. You have made it a den of robbers. And Jesus, if you would, I mean... This is like the rebuke of rebukes. You know, sometimes people will send me things. Um, they'll rebuke me. Sometimes they do it anonymously. They don't even tell me who they are. I just know somebody don't like me in this church. All right, that's how you want to do it. But, but this isn't like a hidden email or a text or, or whatever. Jesus, it'd be like if somebody wanted to rebuke me and they came into my, my living room with my family around and said, yo, you're out of line, pal. And, and that is the force of this prophetic moment in the life of Jesus. He comes right into their temple and said, you're off. But what Jesus is essentially doing here by cursing the fig tree and overturning the temple is just announcing there's a coming end of this way of worship. Things are about to change. There's a seismic shift about to happen in the way that we approach God. Because up until this point, everybody approached God through the temple. The temple was the place in which you went to approach God. But Jesus is saying everything is being turned on its head. And this fig tree, the nation, and this temple are going to be overturned. And you know within 40 years of this prophecy, in the year AD 70, Titus Vespasian, the Roman general, led the Roman siege over the city of Jerusalem, burnt the temple... Not one brick was laid, not one stone was laid upon another. They literally overturned the temple to extract the gold from out of each of the bricks. 
The temple was laid flat. The city was sacked, just as Jesus said, just as Jesus symbolically portrayed by cursing the fig tree, a symbol of the nation Israel, and overturning the tables, saying, things are changing. I'm here now. The the Savior has come. A, A new way to worship has come. And as we can see so much of the Palm Sunday events, these symbols prophetically speak of days that would follow. And though some of it is heavy for Israel, it's also the the speaking of one era is fading out and a new era is coming. A new way that we approach God. The upending of an old system. The removal of the temple as is. And so Jesus then goes on to talk about this mountain. Peter goes, Jesus, that tree that you, you know, Monday morning when you weren't so happy, you cursed it. That curse worked. It's been withered down to the root. Jesus then begins to talk about faith. Verse 23, saying, If you say to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and do not doubt but believe, it will be done for you. Now, we're not exactly sure what Jesus was referring to by this mountain. A lot of people said, oh, it's mountains of doubt or... um, I don't think any of us think that literally we're mountain movers, like we're literally picking up mountains. I don't think you think that, but maybe you do. We could talk later. Um, we, we think most of this is metaphor, but it, it, it could be, and it is likely that the mountain that Jesus was referring to was Mount Zion, was the Temple Mount, was Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem sits on a mountain. And so, because all of these things, are, are all the events of Palm Sunday are saying almost one thing. Mo- Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Jesus is saying and something new is happening. So you can say to this mountain, this old system, be cast into the sea. Things are about to change. But this is only possible, this new way to approach God. It's only possible if Jesus, while on the cross, rips the veil that separated man from God, which happens at that very moment as Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says those words in Aramaic, tetelestai, or it is finished. And when he says it is finished, he cries out finally, his final cry, it's finished, it's been completed, I've done it. The veil in the temple rips from top to bottom. Now they tell us that veil was so thick, it's like four feet thick. It took like, 12 to 18 men to carry it. This is a thick veil. And at the moment Jesus, the Messiah, Hosanna comes in and he's crucified on the cross and he cries out, I'm done. I've finished the work I came to do. Right down the middle. That temple just, that, that, that veil in the temple just rips. This is only possible. This new way to approach God, this, this pushing away of the old temple system and the bringing in of the new way to approach God where we can ask him openly if Jesus becomes the cornerstone of a new temple. Listen to what the Apostle Paul had to say about this new temple that God is building through Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, as we think about what is happening here symbolically and what that means for us today as the church Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. 
In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The new thing that Jesus is displacing is saying that old physical temple is being upended. The tables are being overturned. It's going to be knocked flat. That nation, Israel, that had its worship system, it's withering like the fig tree. Because a new day is dawning, a new temple with a new cornerstone, a new foundation, and that is you and I. We no longer, I mean, I don't know how y'all grew up, but I did not grow up in temples. I did not grow up uh, with animal sacrifice in my approach to God. I didn't grow up with a priest that I had to go through to approach God. And so Jesus is saying something new is coming, but I would suggest that if we are not careful... We can have some old, tired ideas about God and prayer and receiving from God as well. Some old school, old temple ways, some old distorted thinkings about religion. We can metaphorically be going back to the temple that Jesus tore down. Going back to the system that Jesus had withered. Going backward instead of forward. And Jesus is saying, I'm the cornerstone of the new temple. I'm the cornerstone of the Ephesians 2 new thing that God is doing through Christ that we are all a part of. God's building. And this really has to do with the way we approach God. I think there are probably a lot of us that have distorted views of prayer. And maybe you don't even realize the distortions. It'd be interesting to even just do a survey of, of, of our local area, just to go around. Maybe Eric Newby and I will do that someday, get a couple of you, you know, real bold extroverts to come with me, and we'll, we'll just interview people on the streets and just ask them to tell us what they think about prayer. And, and I, would, I would suggest that probably even in the room today, whether you realize it or not, you might have a little old temple thinking. Even though we're in the new temple Jesus has upended a system when he rode in on Palm Sunday, died on a cross and rose again, and said, now I'm the chief cornerstone of something new that God is doing. It's really easy for us to get that old distorted way of thinking back into our systems again. I think one of the lies that we sometimes hear and think about prayer, and maybe you've believed this one as I have, that in prayer, you should stop asking God for stuff as much as you do. You should just express more gratitude and repent of your sinfulness, and pray for others. So a lot of people, as Christians, feel insecure and or self-centered and selfish and wrong to ask God for things for themselves. Because the thought is, to be a good person, a selfless person, you should just thank God that you even have anything at all. Be grateful for what you have. Don't ask for anything more. Some of us got that from our moms and dads growing up. Then you should repent of all your sinfulness and then pray for other people. But don't ask for stuff for yourself. But quite frankly, that's, that's old temple. Because Jesus repeatedly asks us, commands us to ask. I mean, just do a word search in the Gospels, in the red letters of Jesus, of how many times Jesus asks us to ask. And if, if anything, you're, you're gonna, you need to learn in prayer, it's learning to ask God for stuff. I mean, if you're going to learn how to pray the new temple way, the, the new cornerstone way that Jesus, you have to learn to pray the way Jesus taught us to. And I'll just give you some examples, even from our text. Verse 24, Jesus says, I tell you, whatever you what? Look at verse 24. 
Ask for, in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Ask for stuff. Luke chapter 11, in just four verses, verses 9 through 13 in Luke 11, Jesus repeatedly says, ask. Listen to this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. And then Jesus goes on to say, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who just guess what that word is? Ask him. Ask, ask, ask me. John 15, verse 16. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. James chapter 4, verse 2. You have not because you ask not. Like the worst thing that could be put on the epitaph of a church or the epitaph of any human being is you had not because you asked not. In other words, God said, I would have, but you didn't ask. I wanted to, but you weren't asking because your, your old temple way of thinking taught you that, no, 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 I need to be grateful that I'm even breathing and repent of my sinfulness. And all of that's true. And I need to pray for other people. But yet the Bible is full of this ask, ask, ask. And you say, okay, Brian, like we going prosperity gospel here. We're going to name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, believe it and receive it. Come on with that Cadillac Creflo dollar. You want a bigger house? I want a bigger income. Come on, tithe. So into the seat of my ministry, y'all. And I could do, you know, I could do that. I could watch some TV preachers. How many have a $1,000 seat for me? Come on, here, help me. But push that to the side for a second. We'll talk about prosperity gospel someday and my views on it. Um, but Jesus does command us to ask. Is asking selfish? Okay, when we do ask, what should we ask for? What's in bounds and what's out of bounds? I mean, should I be asking for new cars? Should I be asking for a $1.6 million house as some preachers have? Not naming any names, but you know. Um, are those, should those be the kinds of askings that, well, well, here's what I would say to you this. The Bible seems to teach us that nothing is off limits. That you should ask God for everything and anything. See, for most of us, the, our conditioning, our church conditioning, our old temple way of thinking is this. We don't ask. We're not supposed to ask. Or we'll work real hard to get it ourselves or we'll live without or we'll ask somebody, but the last thing we want to do is to ask God. But the Bible seems to say, go ahead and ask God. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So what does Paul say? Paul essentially says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Everything! Now, it doesn't mean that everything you ask is lined up, but why not ask? I promise you that the journey of asking and asking Father for anything that brings you anxiety, what are you worried about? Money? Family? Job? What causes your heart anxiety? Relationships? Your health? What are you anxious about? Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Pray about it all. Ask, ask, ask. Jesus says, ask, ask, ask. And yet we don't. And the Bible says we have not because we do not ask. 
Whatever it is that causes your heart anxiety, ask Jesus about it. And if this Palm Sunday message and, and text simply leads us to simply believe that we can come before Father because a new way has been made, there's no more temple, we are God's temples. This is temple, you and I. If the old system says you don't have to go to a priest, you don't have to sacrifice an animal, you can go before Father yourself and ask Him, then we would be foolish not to take advantage of this practice of asking and receiving those things that you ask for. So I'm determined to simply put this before you this morning, and this simply this. Ask for more, ask more frequently, and ask more boldly. Ask for more from God. Ask with confidence. Ask like you believe that God actually answers prayer. That, that you asking God for things as the old temple system has been upended and Jesus says, hey, listen, a new way is being made, then we've got to practice this. But it's not gonna happen by accident. You don't just end up doing things you're not doing by doing the same thing that you're doing now. If you're not an asker, and there are some people in here who are not askers, it is not prideful or wrong for you to be asking God for things. But as Henry Ford said, if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you always got. If you don't change your habits in prayer, if you don't ask, then you won't receive. Now again, Jesus has editing rights on all your requests. And you're not maybe going to be praying exactly as you ought to initially. Jesus said, anything you ask in my name, you will receive. Believe and you will receive. So there's the name and nature of Jesus. And we can all use our theological dodge to say, well, what about when somebody here asked for healing and they didn't receive it? Or, or I'm just saying, listen, anything that brings you anxiety, we come before God and we ask for it. And then we let God be God and we expect to receive those things we've asked for. And here is just a practice that I'm gonna put before you that I think might be helpful. It has been for me, and I feel chastened and challenged to get back to it. And that is, if you want to be deliberate about being a part of this new temple, this new way of relating to God, I would suggest uh, an, an ask journal. Just a journal that's set aside specifically for requesting from God. And, and you might even put in it columns and categories. Pray, you know, faith. Family, finances, fitness, if we're going to stay with the Fs, you know. Um, just categories you say, this is what I would like to see God do in these areas. This is what I'd like to see God do in these areas. And then I would say, every day check in with that list. And you might be populating that list or you might be able to circle things and star them or however you do to say, no, no, God has answered this. And keep those things in your journal so that you can look back on them. I mean, because if, if I were to ask you right now, it's like, hey, so what are you right now seeking the Father for in your own personal life? You might go, well, uh, uh. somebody asked me the other day, how can I pray for you? I should have had something. I didn't have anything. I was stammering, trying to figure out, well, that's too personal. I'm not going to talk about that. Um, well, no, that's selfish. And because I haven't been as deliberate as I should be with saying, no, here's what I'm praying for in the area of faith. Here's what I'm praying for in the area of finances. Here's what I'm praying for in my family. Here's what I'm praying for in my physical fitness. Here's what I'm praying for in my life. Here are the things, and, and they're, they're deliberately laid out, and I would say go to them daily. Pray for them confidently. And then as 
God begins to answer, don't forget to say thank you. It's very simple practice, but it could be revolutionary. Especially if you believe what Jesus taught us here at this place where he's entering his last week. And he says, you see what I did to that fig tree? You see what I can do to that mountain? I can do those things that you ask me to do if you will ask me. And you're going to, this journey, I promise you, if you'll be willing to take it and start to boldly ask God for things, you are going to find God in this place. You will wrestle with God over the things he hasn't done. You're going to learn more about the, maybe learning to pray better and more in line with his will. You're going to grow, but you're also going to receive things that you ask for. I promise you that. You will get the things you ask for in, in, in a, a lot of times. You're going to, but recording it, going over it, asking for it boldly and confidently. Doing it deliberately. We're not, you can't just expect that you're just going to become an incredible person of prayer if you don't actually do anything about it. You'll be the same exact type of person next year that you are this year if you don't change your habits. If you say, well, next year, like when I turn this age, I want to be more of a man or woman of prayer. Not going to happen if you just keep saying that. I mean, how many of us have said things, man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to start eating better. I'm going to start, you know, reading more books. I'm going to start, you know, not watching as much Netflix. I'm going to whatever. But then you keep doing what you've always done and you're always getting what you always got. What about just saying, you know what, I'm going to be deliberate about this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to create for myself spaces where I ask God for things boldly and see if God does those things I've asked him for. And take the limits off my prayer life. Now, I want to challenge us here this morning with this. There are probably some people here this morning that have some things that you've prayed about before that you've stopped praying for. Jesus teaches us a couple of lessons about persistence in prayer. He talks about a persistent widow that just kept coming to the judge for an answer. And Jesus, he says things like keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. The idea is to continue to keep perpetually coming to God and saying, I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking. And, and you'll change in this process. But there might be some of you here that have been praying for something or had been praying for it, but you've stopped. I would challenge you today to get back to asking again for that thing that you stopped. I think there may be some in here that you have things in your life that you've never asked God for. You thought, is that out of bounds? Can I ask God for that? Hey, yes, you can. You can ask God for anything. He can say no, too. He doesn't have to say yes. But to ask him is to say, Father, this seems like something I need in my life. And, and I would just challenge for some of us here that, that have things in our life that we haven't prayed about. Things in our life that we stopped praying about to say, you know, maybe we need to open up that part of our lives again. And, and, and in, on this Palm Sunday, to honor the new way of Jesus, to honor the new temple, to honor the new cornerstone, to honor this, this, this approach we can have to God where the old way has been upended to say, Father, I'm just a child. You're the Father. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I'm asking you for these things specifically. And I'm going to believe that you're going to do what you said you're going to do. may not happen like that, 
but it's going to happen. God is going to do something upon every, the face of everything. You know, I've been keeping on Tuesday mornings as my time to, because we have it set aside here as a church, like 7.30 to 8.30, we gather for prayer. That's been a great time for me to write things down. Just that hour, so I've got this growing list of things, and I'm watching some of them happen in ways I didn't think they were going to take place. Answers to these prayers, and you know, next to the, the, the kind of the big idea I'm writing, like addendums to it and what I'd like to see and what I'm sensing. And boy, it's been, a, it's been a really fun journey, especially to look back on this little note card that I keep in my Bible. It's just got all these notes on it of my prayer journey with the Lord in these specific areas. I, I would encourage you today, and we're gonna take just a moment, so if the, the music team could come back up. Um, we're gonna take just a moment here, and I'm gonna ask us to do what we believe Jesus is teaching us to do and to just simply come before him and ask him for things. So if you would stand with me as we pray together this morning. I would just challenge you to right now allow as best you can your mind to just clear out. Maybe that just a couple of deep breaths, just uh, something about the way we just calm ourselves down through taking a few deep breaths and ask God, there may be be something real obvious right now. Maybe right away, you know, I stopped praying about this. And the Lord would say, "This this is something I'm bringing up in your mind right now. Maybe for some of you, you're gonna hear the Lord address something that you have never asked him for because you thought you shouldn't ask. But we're taking the limits off our prayer life. A new way has been made. So what is it? What is that thing that you need to ask the Lord for? As you think of Jesus riding into the city of Jerusalem, and moving out all the old system and bringing in a new way where he said, you can approach me, you can ask me, I want you to talk to me. Bring your requests boldly before me. The veil's been ripped from top to bottom. The temple is not as it used to be. God is dealing with us now differently. Through Jesus, we can come boldly. So just right now, I want you to begin to just pray for one or two things. that you say, I haven't asked God for this. Go ahead right now. And and really, I'm going to encourage you to do this. Don't just pray in your mind, but pray out loud. But maybe not loud enough for the person next to you to hear as you ask for new Cadillacs or whatever, a Tesla, a big old house, or whatever you're going to pray for. But, but move your lips, articulate the words because your mind will try to wander. But I, let's all step into this moment. Every man and woman and boy and girl, right now this is the time to start asking God, what do you want? Don't leave, don't leave God's blessings unclaimed in your life. What would you ask God for right now? Bodily healings? financial breakthroughs, the salvation of somebody you love dearly. Do you need a better job? 
Do you need some finances? You praying for spiritual gifts? You need a breakthrough in your life? Are you depressed? Are you stuck in joyless Christian living? Pull up a seat to the table and ask Father. Make sure you get in the make, make sure you get in on this. This is a time. Make sure you're asking right now. Be specific with the Lord. Tens, hundreds maybe of requests being offered right now to the Father. Don't forget what you've asked God for today and, and put it down somewhere. Write it down and begin a running list, a daily list that you can go over and just say, Father, because all things have been made new through Jesus, because you rode into the city of Jerusalem and changed everything, I now come to you with my request and believe that you've received. So Father, we thank you that you are a God that hears us when we pray, that you give us answers to our prayers. You give us those things which we need. And Father, I am aware of people in our church community that need financial breakthroughs. I mean, they need a miracle. Their financial situation looks like a mountain. Father, we pray for that mountain of debt that mountain that's before uh, people that just are in a situation where they feel overwhelmed with the practical needs of their life. Father, give jobs, give resources, do miracles, release, Father. Give, give opportunity to people. Uh, Father, provide financially. There are people here today that need their bodies to be healed that haven't received it. And they've asked and asked and they've even maybe stopped praying. Father, today, people need to be whole in the body. Some people, God, right now are just in need of a, a specific things in, in, in their vocation because maybe they just feel like they're at a dead end in their job. They don't love what they do every day. They, they want breakthrough. They want a calling. They want to live every day feeling empowered and anointed and used. And they, they're in a life-sucking job. God, provide vision and mission and bring people into greener pastures and beside the still waters. God, open up vocational doors. Open up windows of creativity and, and, and ingenuity. God, raise up entrepreneurs that'll invent the next new thing. People that are in this room that, that need breakthrough vocationally. Father, we ask you specifically for things. Because we can, because you asked us to, because you commanded us to, 
because it's the right way to be a Christian. So we come to you, Father, with boldness, with full acknowledgement that there are things that we are worrying about and your word tells us to not be anxious for those things, but to be prayerful about everything. And so we bring it all to you, the anxieties, the things that keep us up at night, the things that we need from you. We're asking, Father, right now, give it to us, Lord. We need spiritual gifts. We need anointing. We need breakthrough. We need healing. We need wholeness. We need from you what you promised to give. We ask that you would. In Jesus' name, amen.